Hello. Hello. This is Out of Our Skull, episode 12. We are the left-leaning podcast from the Femme Faisant Network. I am Mia Davis. I am CJ. And um, we're going to go over some local Charlotte news. And Just say local Carolina news because some of this isn't technically That's Charlotte. true. North Carolina and South Carolina news as well as... Some um, national news. National United States and mm-hmm. then even some international news as well. So this is our June 15th episode. Yes. So we're keeping things pretty topical here. Everything discussed has happened in, since our last episode. Yeah, so uh, much, so, so much so. There's lots of paper here. There's, here you can hear it. Yes, there's, there's many, many topics. Many, many, many topics. Yeah, so. I don't know why I'm suddenly British. <laughs> why not? <laughs> so strap in. We'll go through the local Carolina news first. Um, first off is the Zoka bill. Zoka bill. The solar panel leasing bill. Yes. Um, so North Carolina homeowners and businesses could soon be able to install rooftop solar panels without prohibitive upfront costs under an energy proposal moving through the state legislature. The bill would let residents lease solar panels on their rooftops rather than owning them outright, a financing arrangement popular in other states but long considered a non-starter here. The leasing arrangement could re- would remove a major financial barrier to solar energy by eliminating the down payment for homeowners, typically ranging from $10,000 to $20,000. Yeah. I did apply for solar paneling on my house, and I, it did require a $20,000 down payment on my $120,000 home. Yeah. So one, what, one-sixth of the cost of the home. Yeah. That was a no-go. And that's a down payment. <laughs> that's... Yeah, that was a no-go. Um, yeah. So. Sure, I would have gotten, like, tax breaks for energy upgrades. True. Uh, but, but, but that I, much? I, you that know, is... I found that was not economical for me. Yeah, and it's not that, you know, I understand that there's a cost involved in that, but that is an upfront cost all at once. I mean, that's more than my ex and I put down on our house when we were purchasing it. Yeah, it's, un- it's, un- it's unrealistic for yeah. your homeowner um, unless... I mean, for your average homeowner, for sure. I think that'd be only limited to the top, yeah, top five percent, right? Wage earners. So the twenty-page bill—that's that's quite a quite. I mean, yeah. length isn't everything, but yeah. <laughs> the twenty-page bill is the first comprehensive overhaul of North Carolina's energy laws since two thousand seven, when the legislature passed Senate Bill Three, known as the Renewable Energy Portfolio Standard, requiring electric utilities to sell power derived from solar energy and other renewables. For the first time, electric utilities would be required to let state residents participate in a program called Community Solar. The program lets residents purchase stakes in solar farms not located on their property, getting credit for the power their share generates, just as if the solar panels were bolted to their roof. I think that's pretty cool. That is actually pretty cool. North Carolina law currently prohibits a solar developer from owning a solar panel array on someone else's roof and selling electricity directly to the owner of the property, which would bypass the electric utility. By giving utilities a monopoly to sell power, the state requires the companies to provide power to everyone in a particular service area, maintain the service, and restore power and maintain service quality. Under Zoka's proposal, the solar developer would own the solar panels and lease them to the homeowner or business owner for a monthly fee, as long as the fee is not directly tied to the amount of electricity generated by the solar panels. You're basically just renting the panels. 
The property owner in exchange will get electricity from the panels, which will reduce the power bill from Duke Energy. In exchange for making concession on leases, Duke would pay less for power purchased from industrial scale solar farms rather than being stuck with a standard wholesale rate set by the North Carolina Utilities Commission. Kendall Bauman, Duke's Vice President of Regulatory Affairs and Policy, told lawmakers that competitive bidding for the lowest rates could save the company as much as $850 million over 10 years in payments to solar farms. Under state law, those savings would be passed on to customers. I'm for the customers on Yes, this. yes, indeed. Brian O'Hara, Senior Vice President of Strategy and Government Affairs at Chapel Hill-based Strata Solar, the state's largest solar farm developer, said solar developers can accept lower prices if they get longer contracts. The sun isn't going to go anywhere for millions of years. I have no idea why we are so against utilizing solar energy in this country. Way back in the 70s, when Jimmy Carter was president, there were actually solar panels on the White House because he was very into renewable energy. Mm -hmm. And the first thing Ronald Reagan did was remove them. It's a very, it's just such an antagonistic approach to an energy source that's not going anywhere. And then this business about having to pay Duke Energy, yeah, whether you have solar panels or not, that's Why? just a way to keep the monopoly going. And yeah. It doesn't make... It makes financial sense, sure, if you're working for Duke. Duke. <laughs> but for the consumer and for our environment, it just doesn't make much sense. Right. We're only going to use more and more energy with computers and... Yeah. I mean, technology. all, all of that. our technology is basically power-based. It's not like, you know, we've got hamsters running in little wheels powering our, our microphone here. Or... <laughs> we got a really big Duracell. That's right. <laughs> you know? Um, so... Yeah, our energy needs are just going to go up. They're not going to go down. Right, right. And I've traveled and I've seen, so I've seen tiny, tiny solar panel collecting tiles on lamp posts, like yeah. street lights. Street lights. Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense, you know. It, yeah. And before anyone says, "Oh, it's an eyesore," take a look outside your window and look at those power lines and tell me that's not an eyesore. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you ain't gonna hear that from me. You, you, because you <laughs> have to. You gotta tear down to, lumber and yeah, forests to and, make room for these. And I get it that the power lines have been there for so long. You don't see them anymore. You tend to you tend to generally block them out because you don't notice them because you've just been around power lines well, all your life. Well, then that's gonna be what happens. Yeah. with solar panels. Right. Which actually they they've come up with designs that actually look pretty. Look cool. very pretty. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you actually take a look around you, those power lines are not elegant or nice no. to look at. <laughs> Good point. Good point, CJ. Um, well, that takes us to the North Carolina supporting the Paris Climate Accord. Speaking of energy. Yeah. North Carolina will work to reduce pollution in support of the Paris Agreement, Governor Roy Cooper announced June 6th. Cooper's announcement comes after Trump said he is withdrawing the U.S. from the Paris Compact. Cooper quotes, pulling out of the Paris Accord is wrong for our country, our children, and the generations to come. North Carolina is committed to clean air and a healthy environment will remain a priority despite the lack of forward-thinking leadership from the current administration. Ouch. Yay, Roy Cooper! Ouch. <laughs> we are still in to provide the leadership necessary to meet our Paris commitment. That's another quote from Cooper. 
And one last one, quote, North Carolina knows that clean air and energy innovation are good for our economy and health, and we are committed to continuing to lead in this area, even if Washington isn't. Cooper's office pointed to bipartisan efforts in the state, like the Clean Smokestacks Act and the Renewable Energy and Energy Efficiency Portfolio Standard that have helped North Carolina reduce air pollution and take a lead in solar energy. The governors of California, Connecticut, Oregon, New York, Rhode Island, Virginia, Washington, and Hawaii also signed the letter. Yeah, this is a very good thing. Talking about pulling out of the Paris Accord, yes, you can look at the Paris Accord and you can say there's nothing binding. This was an accord. It wasn't a law. We were basically asked to do something and we said we would do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you could also look at it and go, he's just declining to cooperate because because Obama signed it. Exactly. And he doesn't want to be an Obama. Exactly. So I it's a very childish approach. Before Obama left office, he should have just signed executive orders stating, you know, the sky is blue, oxygen is great to breathe, you know, and, and just watch them fall over themselves trying to convince themselves that the sky is, is purple and we should all stop breathing because it's bad for us. I mean, I feel like he didn't have to because denying climate change yeah. is just as ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. It is stupid. Um, we're falling behind the rest of the world at this point. Yeah. And the rest of the world is kind of looking at us and laughing. And that's a really, really sad thing for America. I am proud, though, that uh, Roy Cooper, yeah. a candidate that I voted for, yep, is in support it's... of these efforts to... Right. Uh, and is going to say, well, I don't care what you do. This is what we're going to do. Right. Yay for state over federal. Yeah. <laughs> so we're moving on. The Dish Network fine. In North Carolina, a federal court judge has ordered satellite TV company Dish Network to pay $280 million for calling people who said they didn't want to be bothered by telemarketers. So simple. Yeah. So simple, Dish Network. This is the do not call list. Attorney General Josh Stein today announced that North Carolina will, re- will receive a share of $18.6 million. North Carolina entered into the lawsuit against Dish Network and three other states and the federal government. In a ruling, six for six, the court found that Dish caused millions and millions of violations of the do not call laws. Telemarketers are barred from calling people who have joined federal or state do not call registries or who've asked companies to leave them alone. The Justice Department said that the $280 million penalty was the biggest ever penalty for a telemarketing violation. In total, Dish Network will pay $168 million to the federal government and $112 million total to North Carolina, California, Illinois, and Ohio. A portion of North Carolina's $18.6 million will go to the North Carolina schools. Um, I don't think people who receive the calls will probably see a whole lot of this, but it will go to benefit the state. And this is... It's still a victory. Yeah. I mean... I like to see that the do not call is going to be taken seriously now. Yeah, because it's not. It really isn't. I, I mean, it sounds like where it says the Justice Department said the $280 million penalty was the biggest ever penalty. Yeah. And th- that kind of sounds like a gripe. Yeah. You know? But, but if you haven't been listening... The do not call list is there for a very specific reason, and you have to go out of your way to sign up for it. The problem is there's so many instances where if you sign a piece of paper or if you sign a contract, particularly with somebody like Dish Network, the fine print in the terms of agreement takes you off the do not call list. Um, There's many instances where, you know, fine print on certain things that you agree to take you off the do not call list. 
I've just made it a habit not to answer my phone if I don't recognize the number. Oh, yeah, me too. And I don't fill out any enter now yeah, for a chance now to for win. Yeah, chance because no, no, no. that is the key instance of just removing your number from the do not call list is enter to win. Yeah. You're winning a whole bunch of phone calls. <laughs> That's what you're winning. And back to Duke Energy, uh, tying in here with rates. Uh, North Carolina's attorney general is intervening in Duke Energy's bid for a 15% rate increase. The nation's largest electric company filed its request last week for an extra $477 million a year from the subsidiary's 1.3 million North Carolina customers. The increase could mean the typical Duke Energy Progress household customer in East North Carolina and around Asheville paying an extra $17.80 per month for a total of 122 for the average household. Stein's predecessor also fought rate increases in court after regulators approved them. Cooper challenged at least four electrical rate increases by utilities in his last four years as attorney general. And this is just, please pad our pockets. I think I pay Duke Energy, and I think I pay them far too much. Yeah, which brings us back to the solar energy and why are we not exploring other means of energy if these rates are just going to go up and up and up and up. Mm -hmm. Next topic. North Carolina investigates alleged Russian hacking. So, I don't know if you listeners have heard, but (laughs) (laughs) there are these allegations that Russian government has uh, intervened in terms of the United States election. Yeah. Uh, A news report relying on a newly leaked National Security Agency document says Russian spies electronically infiltrated a company whose voting machine software is used in North Carolina and seven other states. The Russian government then sent phishing emails to more than 100 election officials around the U.S. just before the election in an attempt to gain their login credentials. Some Durham County precincts experienced problems last November with their electronic sign-in system and had to revert to signing voters in through paper poll books, forcing them to stay open late because of delays. It's unclear whether those issues are linked to the alleged hacking. In no way, even if this attack was successful by Russia, was this affecting the outcome of our election. So it's important for people to realize that this can have, that they can have confidence that their votes counted, said State Board of Elections spokesman Joshua Lawson. Lawson said that even though 21 North Carolina counties use the VR system software, there's no evidence their system was compromised. I don't think... um, Russian hacking affected our votes personally. I think the gerrymandering affected our votes. Yeah, gerrymandering affected affected our voting far more than than any Russian hacking. It always worries me, however, when you have voting machines that are not over. There's there's no oversight in them, and and it's basically a huge lobbying group. I don't like that. I think I think our election should be very open, and I think they should be monitored very closely just to make sure that they that we remain the democracy that we are but no i don't I w- think i would agree with that and getting rid of the electoral college i could probably agree with that as well the electoral college obviously failed in its purpose this election which was you know the whole purpose of an electoral college was so you didn't vote for you know that great bartender down the street you know yeah bob's a great guy let's make him president the the point of the Electoral College was to keep people who are unqualified from becoming president. And we now have a president who is completely and totally unqualified. In fact, so unqualified that Paul Ryan got on 
camera this week and said, he's just new at this. He's so new. He doesn't understand it. <laughs> That's a really, really <laughs> shitty excuse. Yeah, we got that, Paul. <laughs> yeah, we know. Trust us. We know. In more North Carolina news... A North Carolina Superior Court judge declared mistrial in the case of North Carolina minister charged with beating of a gay church member, citing misbehavior by a juror. An angry Gary Gavinus ordered juror Perry Shade to be arrested in the courtroom. The judge said Shade conducted his own independent research on the case, then handed it out to other jurors. Gavinus then ordered Shade to 30 days in jail and pay a, told him to pay a $500 fine. Gavinus issued a gag order in the case, which extends to jurors law enforcement, and witnesses. Brooke Covington, a longtime minister at Word of Faith Fellowship in Spindale, North Carolina, had faced up to two years in prison if convicted on charges of kidnapping and insulting former member Matthew Fenner in January 2013. The 58-year-old Covington was the first of five church members to face trial in the case. Each defendant will be tried separately. Fenner, now 23, says he was slapped, punched, choked, and screamed at for two hours as they tried to expel his homosexual demons. I hope that um, there is justice found. Yeah, well, it's a mistrial. It's not, it's, it wasn't thrown completely out of court. It's a right. mistrial, so she'll be tried again. Um, but this just gives her more time, you know, to spread the hate. <laughs> yeah, and there's four other church members facing trial, too. So um, I'm going to try to keep my ear... Yeah. To the page here and, and update you listeners as to far as how, how this goes. But if you're on a jury, I mean, don't do your own no. research and then pass things out to but the other you jurors. Are not, that's not part of our... No, that's not what you're there for. You're not an investigator. You're not the, the plaintiff. You're not the defendant. You're there to be the juror, to weigh the evidence that is given to you. Yeah. Not to create your own. This isn't a John Grisham novel. <laughs> That's that's my PSA right now. <laughs> and on with that, we have national, national news. news. So the March for Equality happened this past weekend. Yay, good news! Yes. Speaking of gay <laughs> issues. Um, the biggest turnout, of course, was in Washington, D.C. Sayan Lewis, a member of the D.C. Planning Committee for the Equality March, said that they anticipated more than 200,000 marchers and a number of people who showed up blew their expectations. Yay! Um, including one of our friends who was up there. Absolutely. Yes. There was a sh- march in Charlotte here too. Our listeners cued us in to let us know about that. Mm-hmm. Thank you again. Um, I tried to get information on how what the attendance was for the Charlotte march, and all I got was a quote from um, from the Spectrum News, where they reported hundreds gathered in Uptown Charlotte Sunday. I think so, it would be more than that. I, I think it would be more than that. I haven't seen pictures of the Charlotte March. This was interesting because there was there was a couple marches, but unlike unlike the other Equality March, there wasn't a whole lot of different things happening in different cities. I couldn't find anything specifically to Raleigh um, or to, to the Asheville area. It seemed like it was just in Charlotte. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Yeah, but I was very happy for the turnout in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm which is where it needs to be <laughs> because that's where they, you know, they need to know that this is not, they will not go quietly into the night. It, right. And the, the current political climate is such that I think the LGBTQ community has more reason. Yes. To, to be, be bold. To be bold. And, and to be a little bit concerned. 
yeah. about this administration. Yeah, and to march in political affairs. Yes, absolutely. Um, this is June, so we're right in the middle of Pride Month. Right. Anyway, mm-hmm. which has also uh, springboarded. There are now permanent rainbow crosswalks in Atlanta at the intersection of 10th and Piedmont. Yes. They look so pretty. And they are pretty. If you haven't seen them, just just Google that the Atlanta Rainbow Crosswalk and and take a look. They're really pretty. I, I want to do that here. I want to do that in my <laughs> cul-de-sac. <laughs> I'm going to have to go, go take pictures when I go to Dragon Con in September. So, on to the wonderful administration that is. Yeah, we're going to get a little bit more serious now. Trump to nominate Christopher Wray as FBI director because he fired Comey <laughs> a couple weeks ago for no reason whatsoever other than he thought he was a nut job. Yeah, sure. Trump announced plans to nominate Christopher A. Wray, a former assistant ter- attorney general in charge of the Justice Department's criminal division, to be the next FBI director. Wray headed up the Justice Department's criminal division from 03 to 05 as under G.W. Bush and is currently a litigation partner at the D.C.-based law firm King and Spalding, where he chairs the firm's Special Matters and Government Investigations Practice Group. That's a a mouthful. He also represented New Jersey Governor Chris Christie during the Bridgegate investigation into lane closures at the George Washington Bridge. Christie told the Bergen Record that Trump would not be making a mistake were he to tap Ray to lead the FBI. You know, Chris Christie's for this guy... Uh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Ray's nomination will be considered by the Senate Judiciary Committee. The panel's Republican chairman, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, learned about the nomination from Trump's tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Get used to it, Republicans. Ray's career includes relationships with several prominent figures who have factored in Trump's young presidency. He was among the top Justice Department officials who planned to resign en masse with Comey and then-FBI Director Robert Mueller after top White House officials attempted in 2004 to reinstate a warrantless domestic surveillance program that the Justice Department had ruled illegal. Ray was unanimously confirmed by the Senate in 2003 to lead the Justice Department's criminal division, where he oversaw several high-profile investigations from the Enron scandal, to the Justice Department's response to terrorism in the wake of 9-11. Those are fairly old yeah. investigations, but yeah. we're talking about the last Republican White House. Yeah. He first joined the Justice Department as Associate Deputy Attorney General after four years as Associate U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia, which covers the city of Atlanta. Ray has given $53,350 to Republican candidates, committees, and his law firm's PAC since 2007, including McCain in 2008, Romney in 2012, and the National Republican Senatorial Committee in 2016. There are no records of any contributions to Trump. Thought we could find. He He also has represented a slew of Fortune 100 companies that have been the subject of state and federal investigations. Ray is a Yale Law School graduate where he served as executive director of the Yale Law Journal. Ray's nomination ends a nearly month-long search to replace Comey. At separate points, former Connecticut Senator Joseph Lieberman and Texas Republican Senator Cornyn appeared to be front-runners for the job, but both eventually withdrew from consideration. People are running screaming from this administration, (laughs) which makes me worry 
why this guy is not running screaming from this administration. <laughs> I mean, looking through this, he is very decorated. Yeah. He's got accomplishments. He's got experience in the field, which is at mm. least something. 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 I mean, something nobody different. else on this on the staff has experience in their field, really. So uh, that is something new and unique. Right. And, and logical, even though, he, I mean, he's not my pick, but... We'll see how he goes through confirmation. Granted, this is just Trump nominating him. He has Correct. not sat in and front of the committee. He nominated him first by tweet, which is yeah. very unprofessional. Of course, yeah. You're going to learn everything. I swear to God, if we were at war, it'd be announced via tweet. Yeah. Which brings us to our next topic. There's oh. been a poll. <laughs> Politico has uh, conducted a survey about Trump on Twitter. <laughs> so the results of the poll are, I'll, CJ, I'll let you. 69% of voters think Trump should tweet less, and 53% of Republican of Republican voters agree. <laughs> so more than half of Republican voters think that he Trump should, should get, get his ass off Twitter. <laughs> 59% of voters say his use of Twitter is a bad thing. It is a bad thing. <laughs> 57% believe his tweets hurt his own presidency. They do. I'm surprised that that number's not higher. 51% believe his tweets hurt national security. And 53% believe they hurt American standing in the world. So we're looking at all over 50% of the people polled believe his tweets are just damaging. Mm. And I didn't even know about this poll, so I didn't participate in yeah. it. Maybe that's they why these numbers us. aren't, aren't <laughs> higher. Because I agree with all of those. It's a bad thing. It hurts his own presidency. It hurts national security. And it hurts our standing. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's, it's, and on top of that, it's just a turnoff. It's, it's, I mean, I can't. I was in a, a company meeting today at my workplace saying, it, this wasn't the whole meeting, but part of the meeting they included not to put, our, put the branding of our workplace in our social media posts. And I mean, I, I don't have a job that's anywhere near yeah. the political uh, weight <laughs> of the White House. You're, you're not president of the United States? Not yet. <laughs> so moving on away from Twitter and onto a twit. Um, <laughs> education news. Betsy DeVos appeared before a Senate Appropriations Subcommittee and Democrats pounded her with questions about civil rights protections, particularly for LGBTQ students and those with disabilities. After facing similar questions in a white in a House subcommittee appearance last month, DeVos this time took a new track. Repeating the same answer at least 14 times, schools that receive federal funds must follow federal law. The Education Department is suggesting, as it seems based on that uh, quote. quote, that federal laws would offer vulnerable students meaningful protections from discrimination if they attend private schools which are mostly religious, using vouchers. New York City's public school system released a plan this week to increase in integration by race, income, and English language learner and disability status, but advocates called this less, less than ambitious and it didn't use the word segregation. New York City plans within five years to increase by, by 50,000 the number of students attending schools that reflect the city's racial demographics and to decrease by 10% the number of schools that are con concentrated in terms of both poverty and wealth. The city would also simplify the all-choice admissions process for middle and high school in an attempt to make it easier for families with fewer resources to, better, to access better opportunities. So moving on, more education news. At least 
10 would, would be members of Harvard's class of 2021 had their admissions offers rescinded after a group exchange of racist and sexually offensive Facebook messages. The Crimson reported that within a group of about 100, the students exchanged images with captions that made light of pedophilia and the Holocaust and other offensive themes. So, yeah, posting shit on your Facebook and social media, it stays out there, people. It's not like you post it and nobody reads it and nobody sees it and nobody... There, there are consequences to free speech. Yes, you can say whatever the hell you want, but there are consequences. And, and this one, what particularly stuck out to me is that it's their Facebook messages. Yeah. This is not their walls. This is not... This is, yeah. What, what you consider is public. Is, but your Facebook messages are... Basically, they're part of Facebook. They're, they are part of <laughs> Facebook. You think it's between your friends or your your 10 people that you're going to the party bus with yeah. tonight, but you're using a medium that is trackable. It's social media. It is social media. Um, and speaking of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, Mark Benioff of Salesforce and Reed Hastings of Netflix and nonprofits like Code.org have each invested tens of millions of dollars in technology and direct grants to schools. So that's actual benefit of mm -hmm. the social media. Um, and I do like the fact that Mark Zuckerberg is kind of giving back. At least and some, Netflix. some money. And Netflix. Because I mean, they are the technology giants now. They're the, the Bill Gates of this generation. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to see them giving back. Oh, on to the legal stuff that yeah. has happened this week. Grown. So, um, first let's talk about the Comey hearing. Yeah. Notes and memos that Comey wrote about his private meetings with Trump and then passed to a law professor in New York to leak to the media are now in the FBI's possessions. So, yes, Comey came out and said he was a leaker. During Comey's testimony to the Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation into alleged Russian meddling, he discussed his experience as an anonymous leaker. Comey said that a portion of the memos he wrote about a series of tense meetings he held with Trump went to a law professor friend at Columbia University, who Mr. Comey used to funnel the memos to the press. The New York Times ultimately reported on the portion, on portion of the material. Comey testified that he thought press coverage quote, might prompt the appointment of a special counsel, end quote. At the time, Comey didn't name the professor. Media reports later confirmed that it was Daniel Reichman. Comey's testimony was one of the most anticipated Capitol Hill confrontations in years. His critics charged that his calculated formulation and leak of the memos through a third party suggests his actions were part of a deliberate and vendetta-driven plot crossing dangerous lines regarding the classification of government documents and FBI conduct. He and Trump have dramatically differing accounts of the several private meetings they held before Comey's firing. Trump has consistently dismissed the Russian investigation as a hoax, hoax and a witch hunt. So Comey also said that, and this goes on to our next thing with Jeff Sessions, that he was asked to pledge loyalty to Trump and then in a private meeting with just him and Trump was asked to stop the investigation into the Russian involvement. At which point Comey went to Jeff Sessions, who is the attorney general, and asked him never to leave him alone in a room with Trump again. <laughs> so welcome to the wonderful world of women around Trump, Mr. Comey. That's the way, same way we feel. We don't want to be alone in a room with him either. <laughs> All right, so on to... The, the Jeff, Jeff Sessions. Sessions hearing. The Attorney General. 
Session Jeff Sessions was before the the House Committee, basically um, basically talking about the same thing that Comey was talking about. Only they, of course, have different views on the subject. Sessions rejected any suggestion of Russian Russian collusion, stating that any suggestion that he participated in or was aware of any collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government to undermine the democratic process quote is an appalling and deliberate lie or detect detestable lie. Sorry, unquote. Sessions also denied meeting with a Russian official in the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, saying he could not recall a private conversation. It, quote, If any brief interaction occurred in passing with a Russian ambassador, I do not remember it. End quote. <laughs> You're going to see that theme. A lot. Over and over. <laughs> Sessions repeatedly refused to discuss his conversations with Mr. Trump about the Russian investigation or Director Comey's firing beyond what was in his memo recommending that Comey be fired. Democratic senators reacted angrily, noting that Mr. Trump has not invoked executive privilege to bar such testimony. Sessions countered Comey's testimony that Sessions was silent after being asked to never leave him alone with the president again. Sessions, Sessions says he said that the FBI and Department of Justice needed to be careful to follow department policies regarding appropriate contacts with the White House. It's, God, it just it says a whole lot that both your attorney general, who's on your side, and the FBI director have to be very, very careful about their meetings with you. Senator Kamala Harris was once again instructed, interrupted by Senate Republicans during her questioning of Sessions. Senator John McCain and Senator Richard Burr of North Carolina interrupted her questioning. The duo also interrupted Harris last week during the testimony of one Mr. Ro Rosenstein, claiming she was not courteous enough to that defendant. <laughs> Um, it. I've seen the video of this. It. It just looks like they're, they're sort of knocking her down. Yeah. Because she's a woman. Yeah. That, that, that's the connotation. And, that and I saw the, the talking heads on Fox News. One of the talking heads, claimed that she was being hysterical. No, she wasn't. No, she wasn't. She was being very calm in the face of somebody interrupting her and telling her basically to back down. Yeah. Um, Sessions himself got flustered and said he was not prepared for this many questions coming at him. I'm like, dude, you're the Attorney General of the United States. Prepare yourself. Well, more legal news. Trump's lawsuit. Almost 200 senators and representatives are plaintiffs in a lawsuit alleging Trump is violating the emoluments clause of the Constitution. The lawsuit was filed early Wednesday morning in a U.S. District Court of Columbia. The plaintiffs argue they have the standing to sue because the clause says only Congress may approve foreign gifts and payments. Although Trump supposedly turned over control of his real estate development management and marketing companies to his adult sons, he did not divest from it. He is still benefiting financially from all Trump organization profits, including those from gov foreign governments. Since he's become president, the Trump organization has secured dozens of potentially valuable patents, including in China, and collected fees from lobbyists working for Saudi Arabia and other countries using his properties. Earlier, Conflict of interest. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Earlier this week, two Democratic attorneys generals filed a similar lawsuit. Trump and the Justice Department have called these lawsuits baseless. They argue the clause isn't intended to prevent normal business such as hotel payment and real estate transactions. It's, it's there to make sure that the president doesn't benefit from his office. And that's exactly what this, this president is doing. 
and his slimy ass sons are benefiting from it as well <laughs> since we're paying for all of their security and flights to Saudi Arabia and China yeah and God knows where else so they can kill wild animals um this is another topic that I want to keep yeah keep a close eye on yeah. I want to keep a close eye on the lawsuit I want to see that it goes forward do you think we'll have an update by July 1st for I hope the next so. episode? I hope so. I'm not sure how quickly they're going to move with this. I'm not sure, certain how quickly they're going to move with this. Um, the Sessions hearings are still occurring, so we'll get more on that. I'm hoping they move a little bit forward with this, or at least some judge will at least take a look at it. And one other bit of national news. The Southern Baptist Convention... A resolution condemning white supremacy caused chaos in the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> this, is, this is so Southern Baptist. Leaders of the religious group were divided over a resol resolution affirming the denomination's opposition to white supremacy and the alt-right movement. Uh, it just blows my mind that anybody <laughs> is divided over the movement. It blows my mind. They initially declined to consider a proposal submitted by a prominent black pastor in Texas, Dwight McKissick, and only changed course after a significant backlash. Wow. So consequences are the only thing that's stopping you? Exactly. Gosh. It was only after McKissick's proposal was declined to be heard and several pastors formally objected that the resolution was once again brought before the committee. This is really no surprise for a denomination that was explicitly founded to support slavery. Yeah. So, yeah, it says something that this Southern Baptist Convention can't figure out that white supremacy is bad. Yeah. I mean, the conventions, I, I love conventions. Yeah, so do I. And the conventions I go to... They're about Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek, and the forces with us, <laughs> zombie movies. Yes. Um, yeah, not so much. Not so much about the you know, white supremacy. No, no, no. And we don't really have a hard time accepting others in our conventions. No. And if there was a convention like that in my era, I, 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 I wouldn't, wouldn't go. go. No, yeah. I wouldn't support it. Nothing. So, one bit of international news. The British elections were held this, this week. The United Kingdom general election of 2017 took place on June 8th. The election was not due to be held until May 7th, 2020. But the Prime Minister, Theresa May, called for a snap election in an effort to secure a larger parliamentary majority of the Conservative Party to, in order to strengthen her hand in forthcoming Brexit negotiations. The snap election backfired on May, resulting in a net loss of 13 seats for the Conservatives and a net gain of 30 seats for Labour. Since no single party has a majority, this is now a hung parliament. The result is said to represent a return to two-party politics in the UK. May remains Prime Minister, but her power is greatly diminished. The election also brought to the forefront Lord Buckethead, <laughs> a candidate for the Grim Lord Party and who is now willing to negotiate with the EU about Brexit. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know Lord Buckethead, it is a self-proclaimed intergalactic space lord who wears a two-foot bucket on his head. Uh, as you know, I went to England um, in late April. And um, I mean, everybody was talking about this upcoming election. So, and then I saw, I follow some 
celebrities, some English celebrities, and uh, I saw a good voting turnout. Yeah, based on that, it it was a good turnout, um, particularly for a snap election because this technically was not supposed to be held for another three years. Right. Um, it truly did backfire completely on Theresa May. Well, it, the citizens, from what I understood, with every UK citizen that I spoke to, whether they supported the Brexit or not was definitely in support of the snap election yeah they wanted they've been tired of their voice not being heard mm. and they wanted to talk about this brexit whether they're they want to leave um the eu or not the eu or not and right. whether it's going to be a hard exit or a soft exit um for those of you who watch uh john oliver he does a very good segment on the brexit and also had lord buckethead on his show he's done like is this two episodes now on the Brexit? Um, yeah, one At before least. the actual vote, and then this one was was just this past week okay. concerning the election, and the fact that Theresa May really doesn't have a any sort of policy in place on how this Brexit is going to work. No, she's clueless. <laughs> she's clueless, and every time people ask her about it, she gives some vague answer that doesn't answer. Um, but this is a woman who's. Who was asked what the naughtiest thing she ever did was and came up with, I ran through fields of wheat. She's not, <laughs> she's not a favorite among the, um, the residents of England. I don't know about the rest of UK, but, uh, um, but yeah, no. the Brexit is a very touchy subject considering so much of, um, the economy is tied up with the EU mm -hmm. and that not only it, it it is the british it's the brexit not the english removing themselves it's british right so you're, so you're, you're talking in, about wales you're talking, you're talking about, about wales and scotland and ireland right or at least a portion of ireland because ireland proper is staying in the eu it's northern ireland that is part of the british um, empire that would be removed mm -hmm. so you again what do you do with that do you suddenly have another border with Ireland and do you have that horrible border again between Ireland and Northern Ireland which is never a good thing <laughs> we'll see how things develop I think also uh, maybe I mean the French just had their election yeah so maybe there was a good turnout for this snap election coming off of that momentum yeah so. um, but either way I'm glad to see that citizens went out and voted yeah even if they voted for Lord Buckethead <laughs> who did get 247 votes, I believe. Did they put their ballot in the bucket? In, I don't know. <laughs> but what I really love about British elections is they make them all stand there where the, while the results are, are read. You all have to stand on the stage. So they had Lord Buckethead on there. There was an Elmo, a guy dressed in an Elmo suit, who I think got three votes. And then um, somebody from the, oh God, the mad, some mad party... Um, but they all you're talking about, yeah. But yeah, they were all standing on the stage <laughs> waiting the results. <laughs> you know they wanted to be at a pub. Yeah, you yeah. know they wanted to watch that from <laughs> from their neighborhood pub. <laughs> well, um, that pretty, is what we have for, for this June fifteenth <laughs> for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, Scullies. I hope so too. And come back in two weeks for our July first. Um. Fourth of July party. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uploading on June 15th, which is also our dear CJ's birthday. It is indeed my birthday. So send her birthday wishes. She also accepts 
nachos and <laughs> and Tolkien cake novels and Tolkien novels <laughs> and tattoo ideas <laughs> and yeah. anything with a skull on it. <laughs> Happy birthday, CJ! Thank you. Thank you you so are much. quite welcome, and we'll we'll talk to you all on July first. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.